Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbeam, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. Well, I'm Pastor Ben. It's my privilege to share God's word with you. And I want to tell you a little bit about myself. And as I tell you about myself, I think you're going to find yourself in this story a little bit. You see, there's one thing that I do every time I get home. And I believe there's probably one thing that you do every time you get home. You see, I've been doing this since I was a little kid. Whether I'm coming back from work or practice or school or vacation, whatever it is, I always do this one thing. And what I always do is I always get home and I check the mailbox. Now, if you're married, there's probably one of you that checks the mailbox and the other one kind of just reaps the benefits of that person going out there. But there's at least one of us who every time we get home, we go and we check the mailbox. Now, why do we do this, right? Why do we check the mailbox religiously every day? It's because we're hoping to find something of value in there, right? We're hoping to find some good news. But here's the truth about the mailbox. It's like playing the lottery, right? Most of the time, you get nothing out of it. You open it up, and what's inside? It's junk mail, right? Something you don't care about that you have to throw away. All they've done is taken that junk from your mailbox and put it right into the garbage can. Or it's a bill, which is not what we actually want to receive, right? We don't want to have to send money out. But it's typically one of those two things. But on a rare occasion, we will get some good news, right? We get a birthday card. We get a personal letter, even though that's incredibly rare, right? Maybe we get some New Year's cards or Christmas cards. And as we're heading into the summer, it's likely that you'll probably get a wedding invitation or two. And even if you don't like weddings, those are still good news. And the reason they're good news is because people have specifically thought of you to invite you to their big day. Now, if you've been married before, you know the drill, right? At some point in time, you sat down with your fiance and you start listing out all the important people in your life, all the people who made impact on your life, all the people that you love, all the people that you want to be there for your big day. And then your fiance does the exact same thing, right? So you both have this long list of people who mean a lot to you. And then you have the other number, which is how many people can we fit in the church? And how many people can we afford to feed that evening, right? And that sets that number. And then you go back and forth and you try to explain to each other why those people aren't as important as your people so you can get them all to your wedding, right? That's what happens. Which means if you get a wedding invitation, you are important. You are special. People have thought of you. People have fought for you. And people have sent you out a wedding invitation, And that's good news. In fact, this past year, it was even better news because I did a lot of weddings. And guess what I had to do during COVID-19 time and time again? Explain to this poor couple, that poor couple, 
how the restrictions had changed and adapted. Right? Sorry, you can't have 250. You can't have 500 people. You can have 100. You can have 50. You can have 25. You can have 10 at one point in time was the number. And I had to tell these poor couples these restrictions. And guess what many of them did? They wanted to get married. And so they took that number of 200 or 500 or whatever it was, and they honed it down to 50 people, 25 people, which means if you got that invitation, you were in rare air, right? That was good news. You were pretty important in their life. Well, as we make our way as a church through the Lenten season, which started on Ash Wednesday, we're making our way to the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and his resurrection. And he shows that he has power over the grave. And as we make that journey together, I want to do something with you. We're going to work through the Gospel of Mark. And as I read through the Gospel of Mark once again, what I found is there's this common theme that pops up time and time and time again. It's an invitation from Jesus to the people and still to us today to come follow him. And so over the next number of weeks, we're going to look at these powerful verses of Christ offering that invitation to each and every one of us. And we begin our journey today in Mark chapter 2. This is what we read. Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd gathered around him, and he taught them. So this is very, very early in the story of Jesus Christ, and already what we see is there's a big crowd around him, right? We already see that he's, he's very popular. Now, when we see a crowd, this is what we know, right? We know that something good is going on, right? If we, we travel through town and we go to a restaurant, we see there's people always there. The parking lot is always full. It seems like the place is always hopping. We know a couple things, right? We know the food is good. We know the environment. The atmosphere is very nice. We know the service is great, right? Because crowds imply something. They imply that something good is happening. And we see this crowd around Jesus because something good is happening. But here's what's so amazing about this. is This is the very beginning of Christ's ministry. So how did he garnish so much popularity so quickly? Well, if we back up a little bit in this passage, we're going to learn that. You see, before Jesus came onto the scene, we had this guy, his name was John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was this very kind of odd duck. He wore strange clothes. He had a weird diet. He didn't teach in a comfortable room like this or in the city. He taught out in the wilderness. And guess what? People loved this guy. And they flocked to him to hear his teaching. And when they showed up, he had one simple message. He said, repent and be baptized for the kingdom of God is near. In other words, what he was saying was, get ready because the king is coming soon. And then the king shows up because Jesus goes to John the Baptist to be baptized. And when Jesus shows up and is baptized, John's message changes. Instead of saying the kingdom is coming near or the king is coming, he says the king is right there and you should follow him. And John took all of his popularity and all his followers and he said, you're going to go and follow Jesus now. And they did. And so overnight, Jesus had this crowd around him. And guess what? He did not disappoint. 
right? He did these amazing miracles. He had this magnetic teaching style that people loved where he'd take these heavenly truths and apply them to their everyday lives and people loved him for it. And just like today, when things are going well, people gather around and they gathered around Jesus and I, and I love this about him. I love that he had these big crowds around him because it really offered two amazing things. It was a space for anyone and everyone to go and it was a space for anyone and everyone to go in a way that they didn't feel pressured. Right? They didn't feel singled out. It wasn't a small group. They could kind of sneak in and be incognito and just experience what Christ is teaching as they tried to figure out how they were going to interact with Jesus and how important Jesus was going to be in their life. So I, I love this about Jesus' story. But as we, we think about this, there is something that we do as humans when we have that popularity or we're going in that upward trajectory, a lot of times we get very nervous. We get very nervous that we're gonna fall off the cliff, that we're gonna do something to, to ruin it all. And you would think Jesus would be thinking this way, but apparently he's not too concerned about that because look at what he does. As he is walking along, he saw Levi, son of Elpheus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. Now, we're not gonna fully understand this yet, but this is a very unwise move by Jesus if his goal was to keep his popularity going. Now, when we see this, it seems like he's actually trying to cultivate more people to follow him, right? He goes to Levi and says, Levi, come follow me, right? I'll add you to the popularity mix. I'll add you to the crowd. But that's not what he's doing because that's not what he had to do. Because once you have a crowd, guess what happens? The people invite other people, right? You don't have to do a lot of advertisement. But instead, he, he goes to this young man, Levi, and he says, come follow me. Now, to understand what he's doing, we have to understand the culture back then. You see, back in that day, they had these relationships between rabbis and students. And the rabbis were these pinnacle characters in, in their communities. They spoke well, they communicated well, right? They lived life well, and people wanted to be like them. And so what would happen is if you want to be a student of a rabbi, you would go to the rabbi and you say, Rabbi, I really respect you. I want to be like you. May I be your student? And if they said yes, they would invite you into this transparent relationship where you could see everything about their life and they could see everything about your life. And the goal was that you would become exactly like them, that you would become a carbon copy of them. But notice how this is different than that. You see, normally it was the student pursuing the rabbi, but here we have the rabbi pursuing the student. And this is where it's shocking. Not that Jesus did that, even though that would be a shock, but the shock is who he pursued. You see, you'd think he was gonna pick the best of the best of the best but instead he chooses Levi and other gospel accounts it calls him Matthew, right? He goes by either name. So he goes to Levi. And what's shocking is that Levi is a tax collector. Now in our modern day, we probably don't like taxes very much and we don't probably like the people who collect the taxes very much. However, we don't really understand why these people are so much worse. You see, in this day, it wasn't just an annoyance if a tax collector showed up these people were considered evil. 
You see, Rome had come in and they had subjugated the whole land and so they were in charge and ruling over the Jewish people. And then what they did was they got Jewish people to collect taxes from their own people to send the money back to Rome to fortify Rome's power in that area. And you can see why people didn't like the tax collectors very much. And if that wasn't bad enough, it actually was much worse. You see, they didn't force people to be tax collectors. These Jewish people chose to be tax collectors. In fact, not only did they choose to be it, but they had to bid on the right to get this position, which means these were people of means who bought this role so they could take money from their people and send it to Rome. Now, why would they do this? Because Rome allowed them to charge a surcharge at their discretion on top of the taxes. Right? So not only were you sending your money to Rome, but you were lining the pockets of these people who were already pretty well-to-do. Which means the tax collectors were rich people oppressing people who are already oppressed. You can see why people hated the tax collectors and why it's so shocking that Jesus went to a tax collector and told him, hey, come associate with me. Come follow me. Come be a, a part of me. This is a very challenging section of scripture. You see, when we as humans look at people like this, people who were bad or downright evil and they're living their lives like this that hurt the oppressed and hurt us, we begin to put our label on them as bad and evil and we don't want to associate with them. You see, and when we do that as humans, when we, when we put that label on them, then we dehumanize them. And when we dehumanize people, then we can justify any action or behavior or any feeling towards that person. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus says, come follow me. Now, why would Jesus do this? Well, it's actually built into the text. When it describes Levi, it says, Levi, the son of Alphaeus. Now, this is significant. It's not because his dad had a lot of money, which would support Christ's ministry. It's not because he had political power. See, what this text is showing us is that Levi is a real person with a real dad, real flesh and blood with real feelings who really, really matters. And so even though we would probably dehumanize and avoid somebody like Levi and kick him to the curb and say, I'm never talking to you. I don't want to be around you. I don't want people to think I'm even have a friendship or even a cordial relationship with you. Jesus says, come get really close because you really matter. And Mark continues. And he got up and followed him. So as Mark continues, we, we see the response of Levi to Jesus. And this is kind of shocking. Now, if you've been around church for a while, you kind of knew this was coming, right? If you paid attention when I was reading the scripture, you knew this was coming. But think about this response and how shocking it truly is. Because who is Levi? Levi is a man who paid a bunch of money so he could rip off his fellow people. Everyone hated this guy, and that probably was never going to change. His goal was obviously to become richer and richer and richer, and he didn't care who lost for him to have more resources and more money. This is who Levi is. And what Jesus asked him to do was to walk away from everything that he had built in this life 
to follow him, to become a student again, to start all over. And you know what this was not going to fix, probably? People's perspective on Levi. But despite that, Jesus offers the invitation, an invitation that we would say is probably unwise, it's it's not going to help Christ's ministry, it's not going to help his popularity, it's not going to help his reputation. And he says, Levi, come follow me. And Levi leaves everything and goes. And this is what happens next. And as he sat at dinner in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also sitting with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. Now, if that last section wasn't shocking enough, this is much, much more scandalous. So Jesus not only has a cordial relationship or this rabbi-student relationship with Levi. No, now he's in his house with him with other tax collectors, other people who are ripping off other people and lining their pockets. And it says other sinners. Now, when it uses this word sinners in this context, it's not talking about just people who are struggling, right? Like everyday sins, a white lie, a cheat on a math test, stuff like that. No, these are people who are defining their lives by their sinful behavior. And more than likely, they are building their resources from life based off of their sinful behavior. This is who Christ is with. He's eating dinner with them. He's eating the food that's provided by them by ripping people off or raising money because of their sinful behavior. And this is scandalous, right? This is scandalous that he would be there. And it was especially scandalous back in that day because every good Jewish person knew that you did not associate with people who were actively sinning and people who were tax collectors, right? They all knew that. In fact, we kind of get that because in our modern day, we do that too. We think that way too, right? We don't want to be guilty by association. So there's certain people who do certain things and we just try to avoid them. We would never invite them over to our house. We would never go to their house. We don't want to walk down the street with them because people might associate us with them. But despite that, our rabbi does something very different. And aren't we glad he does? Aren't we glad that Jesus doesn't separate himself from the people who are struggling and who are in need and make bad choices because we would be far, far away from him? But instead, our rabbi, our teacher, the person who we are supposed to be like, sets a precedent. He goes right to the people who are in need, the very people who would tarnish his reputation, the very people who would probably limit his popularity. And people took notice, as you can imagine. This is what happens. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So you're familiar with the Pharisees, more than likely. If you're not, let me give you a quick background course on them. Pharisees means separated ones. And their whole life, they viewed their relationship with God as as one that was solidified by following all the rules. And not just his rules, but all the rules they'd added to his rules to make it even better in their mind. This is who they were. You follow all the rules and you stay away from people who don't follow all the rules, right? That's why they're called the separated ones. They would not associate with anyone who was less than them, right? You had to do everything the right way. There was good people and there was bad people and the good people over here and the bad people were shoved far, far away. This is how they viewed the world. And so when they saw Jesus behaving in this scandalous way, 
they came and they asked this question. Now, it was twofold, right? They had two different reasons they were asking the question. One, they asked this question as a way to criticize him, right? Why do you behave this way? Everyone knows you shouldn't behave this way. How can you be a good teacher if you're behaving this way? You're obviously not a good teacher and no one should follow you, right? That was one reason they're asking this question. But I think the other side, the more humble aspect, is that they were just curious, right? Help us understand. How can you be a good teacher? Everyone respects you, and yet you're behaving this way, which everyone knows you should not behave this way. And so he responds. He says these words. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. So once he has their attention, he begins to teach, right? He wants them to have a, a change of heart and a change of mind, and so he goes into this analogy. He says, think of a doctor, Right now, what do we know about doctors? Right, they're well-educated, they're respected, they tend to get paid well, right? This is who they are. And they're kind of like up here, right? In our society, doctor is, is it's a big deal, right? They're kind of up in the upper echelon of society. But what do they do for a living? Think about it. Even though they're up here in our societal understanding, they get down into the dirt day after day after day after day with the people that most of us don't want to be around, right? People who are going through a lot of mental health issues, people who have disease, people who have brokenness. And every day, even though they're up here, they get down into the dirt and they serve. And then this is where Jesus makes the connection. This is what he closes with. But I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. You see, what do we know about Jesus? We know that he is the God of the universe, sinless, all power, all riches. If doctors are here, Jesus is way up here. But what does he do that's exactly like the doctor? What did he do that was exactly like a doctor? He comes right down into our dirt and our grime and our brokenness and our failure and our sin. He walked among us, died on the cross for our salvation, for our healing, for our restoration. And then he overcame death in the grave to give us hope on a daily basis. This is who Jesus is. This is how our rabbi taught for us to live. So I want you to think back on your wedding day, the invitations you were about to send, right? Think about all the people you invited and why you invited them and the after effect of that. And I guess if you haven't been married yet, you haven't learned all the lessons that the rest of us have learned. But here's the thing. Who you invite to your wedding will dictate in a lot of ways how your wedding goes. If you invite good people, upstanding people, people who are not getting too crazy to your wedding, for the most part, your wedding will go pretty smoothly. But if you invite people who may be out of control or people you later will regret, your wedding can get a little messy. So if you're planning your wedding or it's coming up, Take the advice from somebody who's been there and probably a lot of people here are nodding their heads saying, yeah, I shouldn't have brought that person. They created a whole mess. 
Invite the best of the best to your wedding. That's my advice for your wedding. But when it comes to Jesus and when it comes to people, do the exact opposite. You see, Jesus offered his invitation to anyone and everyone. To the people who are going to tarnish his name, stop his popularity, drink too much, throw up on the dance floor, get the microphone and say something off color. This is who Jesus invites to the party because he invites everyone. And the reason he invites everyone is because how he views everyone. Because every person, no matter what they've done, what they've tweeted, what they're doing right now, what addiction they have or what addiction they will have, Jesus views them, he views you and he views me as a precious creation of God. And as followers of Christ, when we begin to see everyone like this, and as a church, when we begin to see everyone like this, we become like our rabbi. We become like our rabbi. And when we see people like this, we treat them differently, we talk to them differently. And you know what we for sure do? We invite them to the party. Yeah.